Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first ever episode of the Addicted Austinite. Yay! This is your host, Catherine Price, and our topic today is Unbecoming Jane. And this episode will actually fit into two of the categories I mentioned in my little introduction, if you gave that a listen, because it's a look at the history of Jane's life, but also a review of a film. That film, Becoming Jane, is actually the reason this whole podcast has really been started. As a historian, my interests lie in the portrayal of history on film, particularly biopics, and Becoming Jane and my love of Jane Austen is what started it all. As a film, Becoming Jane is quite enjoyable. It its audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 74%, so not to be sniffed at. It's beautiful to watch, the soundtrack is gorgeous, and the story is really quite gripping. But as a biography of Jane Austen, it falls quite short of the mark, unfortunately. So, for those of you who haven't seen the film, and I'll warn you now, spoilers lie this way. Um, It was released in 2007 and it stars Anne Hathaway as Jane Austen. Yes, that is an American actress playing a British icon. It's actually quite fitting, really, as that's what's happened with Bridget Jones' Diary as well. Uh, And I will be reviewing that film in a later episode. And the plot of the film supposedly covers Jane's life from her early 20s to her death, with particular focus on her relationship with a man called Tom Lefroy. Now, I say supposedly to all this because the film takes a lot of liberties. Truthfully, there are things about Jane's life that we just don't know, and to be honest, probably never will. She was quite a private person, and and on her death, a lot of her letters, our main source of information about her, were burned by her sister Cassandra. Nobody knows why. So there is some wiggle room for authors and creative types to imagine what the young women may have been up to. However, Becoming Jane goes so far as to insert things that we definitely know didn't happen and to play around with what did. If it were a film about a fictional Regency woman, it would be brilliant. But as it's about a real woman with a real history, being dramatic over being factual is quite a problem. Now, funnily enough, uh, those involved in the film did have something to say about the historical accuracy within it. Whilst writing a research topic um, on the attitude of filmmakers to historical accuracy within their films, I did some research into the accuracy of Becoming Jane. The interesting thing that I found was that actor James McAvoy, who plays Tom Lefroy in the film, did mention his desire to be historically accurate by giving the Irish Lefroy an English accent. This is quite believable, quite a good job, as for anyone who wanted to dwell in the upper echelons of society, having an English accent was quite important, due to the low feeling about Ireland, Wales and Scotland in this period. And there are those who live in those countries now that would say nothing's really changed. Um, But 
that's really all I found. There's no mention of fabricating events or playing up certain aspects. There was some mention of how the wardrobe is as accurate as possible, but nothing about the Jane that they portray in this film. So, one of the problems that I have with this film is actually quite a common problem for anyone looking at the life of an author, not just Jane Austen. And that is that they are constantly trying to make connections to her books in her life story. They basically want to set her up as Lizzie Bennet. Now, Jane did say that she saw a little of herself in all her heroines, and she did draw upon the society around her for ideas, but to imply that she simply lifted episodes from her life to create her stories really downplays her talent as a writer and an imaginative spirit. And this causes the second main problem of the film, which is playing up the importance of Tom Lefroy to Jane's life and her works. Now, there are a lot of scholars who will give you a lot of different theories about Tom and Jane's relationship. Some think he was merely a fling. Some, including the makers of Becoming Jane, it would seem, think that he was the basis for Mr Darcy. The truth is... Once again, we don't really know. All we know for sure is that Jane had this to say about their relationship. He was very gentlemanlike, good-looking, pleasant young man, I assure you. But as to our having ever met, except at the last three balls, I cannot say much. He has but one fault, which time will, I trust, entirely remove. It is that his morning coat is a great deal too light. He is a very great admirer of Tom Jones, and therefore wears the same coloured clothes, I imagine, which he did when he was wounded. She talked of Lefroy as being her Irish friend, in quotes, and cheekily commented to Cassandra in a letter that the couple had been, quote, profligate and shocking in the way of dancing and sitting down together. And as for Tom, in later life he did mention his boyish love for Jane in the time that they had together. Personally? I think that Tom Lefroy was a bit of excitement and, and nothing more, really. They only knew each other for a few weeks, and that's hardly enough for a deep connection. And Tom knew very well the duties that were expected of him with regards to marriage, having as many sisters as he did. And he knew, and his family knew, that Jane would never have fulfilled those expectations. And with the regard to the insinuation the film makes that Tom named his daughter Jane after our Jane. Well, in fact, he actually had an aunt named Jane, and it really was a common name at that time. Suffice to say, Tom and Jane definitely had a friendship, at least. But the focus of the film on him in her life story is another common problem people seem to have with studying famous women, and that is that they are always trying to find the men in her life that are responsible for her greatness. There is a very long debate about this in feminist views of history, so I really encourage you to go out and do a bit of research on that if it interests you. But that's really all I want to say on it. I, I don't want to upset anybody. What I will say is that 
that by the film making Tom Lefroy the quote-unquote mastermind behind Jane's works really does rob her of all her agency and everything about her that makes us love her as an author. In particular, take for instance the scene in the film where Lefroy recommends that Jane reads the novel Tom Jones, which would better her writing from mere feminine accomplishments, as he called it. This is simply not true. We know that Jane had already read that book before meeting Lefroy. She references it in a description of him, and her writing up to that point would already suggest a vivid imagination and an understanding of society that Lefroy implied that Jane lacked. By saying that Lefroy was the one to turn her writing into what is so clever and so well known to us today, suggests that Jane was just another passive female character waiting for a man to push her in the right direction, which, if you look at her heroines, is something Jane clearly would not have appreciated. And that isn't even the worst sin that the film commits. No, no, dear listeners, it can get worse. And it happens within the first five minutes of the film with the introduction of Lady Gresham and her nephew, Mr. Wisley. They are very interesting characters. The lady bears remarkable resemblance to Catherine de Bourgh, but... Like Lady Catherine, Lady Gresham and her nephew are completely fictional. This is a problem because the plot later heavily relies on Wisley proposing to Jane, her accepting and then turning him down. That never happened. At least not with Wisley, because the maddest thing about all of this is that Jane really did become engaged and then break it off a mere 12 hours later. But this was to a man called Harris Bigwither, a much younger brother of friends that Jane could never see herself happy with. So, of course, those watching the film are left with the question of why make up an engagement when one really existed? Now, the Big Wither engagement didn't overlap with Jane's friendship with Lefroy, so perhaps they wanted a more scandalous angle, but why take liberties like that and completely invent events for a real person? That just seems disrespectful to me, because it completely changes her character. In real life, Jane ends her engagement, which, by the way, would have set her up for life, because she couldn't see herself marrying for anything other than the greatest affection. Indeed, she said there was nothing worse than marrying without affection, even being a schoolmistress, heaven forbid. By doing this, Jane is taking her life into her own hands, which is a bold move for a woman in this period. In the film's version, Jane is breaking off an engagement because of feelings towards another man, which is again focusing on a male-driven version of history, in which women are not active participants, rather supporting characters for the men in their lives. Either way, I think Jane made the right decision. Jane Wisley and Jane Bigwither don't exactly have the same authorial ring to Jane Austen.
So those are the really big problems that I have with this film. You may agree with me on those or not, but I'd really love to hear your opinions about it. And now, everybody take a big deep breath and let's expel all that negativity. I'm going to finish this episode on a bit of a lighter note by going through some of the things that the film did really well. And in the process, hopefully to convince you all that I'm not a nitpicky know-it-all and can actually take joy in things. So, like I said, the costumes and the music, the settings and everything visually about this film is, is wonderful. It is a gorgeous film to watch which is obviously a, a very important thing in the cinematic world. But with regards to history there are some things about this film that made me really happy. First off is the inclusion of Jane's brother George. Now George Austin was the second child in Jane's family and he was most definitely disabled Nobody is sure exactly what that disability was, but Jane mentions having to learn fingerspeak to communicate with him, which she actually does in the film. Usually, because of his disability and the fact that he didn't live with the family, most biographies will skip over George Austin completely, so it was really nice to see him being represented. Another welcome inclusion was that of cousin Eliza, who was a great influence on Jane when she was creating her characters. Any of you that have read Mansfield Park will see a lot of Eliza in Mary Crawford in particular. I think they do get Eliza quite well in this film. She was French by marriage and her husband did sadly die. She did flirt with Henry Austin, whom she later married. And Henry Austin's character in this film isn't awful either. Like, he was definitely Jane's favourite brother, and this is shown in the film, though he wasn't exactly as much of a lout as the film suggests. And finally, the thing that made me happiest of all was the representation of Jane and Cassandra's relationship. The two girls were incredibly close. They were the only two girls in a family with six brothers. Can you imagine? When Jane died in 1817, Cassandra even said of her, I have lost a treasure, such a sister, such a friend as never can have been surpassed. She was the sun of my life, the gilder of every pleasure, the soother of every sorrow. I had not a thought concealed from her, and it is as if I had lost a part of myself. Isn't that just so sweet? And it just shows how much they really cared about each other and how much they meant to each other. And I think the film captured the essence of that really well. So, in closing, I really recommend that you watch this film and, and see how you feel about it personally. I'd really love to know what you think. For me, it's not a good enough biography of Jane Austen. They just take too many liberties with events and inspirations unnecessarily. But I do think it is a good period film. And what they get right about Jane is just so heartwarming and it's a really good insight into the little snippets in Jane's world. So thank you 
very, very, very much for listening to the first ever episode of The Addicted Austinite. I really hope you liked it. Do let me know. I had so much fun putting this all together. You can leave me comments on whatever platform you download your podcasts from, or you can tweet me. I'm at Kath Price Author, which is all one word. I'd really like your input on what you think of this episode, what you think should happen next, where this podcast should go. I'm just so excited to be doing this. Thanks again for listening and happy reading your faithful servant, the author. Mm-hmm.